What's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Writing Friction. And as always, today's guest is pretty cool. Everyone say hello to Crystal Hana Kim. How are you, Crystal? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm do, not doing too bad. Uh, for people who don't know, before the podcast started, Reba was acting a little uh, a little naughty, so she yeah. is not <laughs> with us today, unfortunately. But Crystal did get to meet her. She, 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 yeah, she's pretty cute. Very cute, very cute. Um, You don't have a puppy, though. You're a recent mother, and I think you said yes. you're hunkering in what used to be your office, but it's now something else. Yes, it's like part office, part nursery. Um, so I was a little sad when I had to kind of give up my space. But uh, the baby's worth it. <laughs> uh, I, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is that your writing space? Is that where you do most of your writing before? Yes. Yeah. So w- this was last, when we moved into this apartment, I live in Brooklyn and we moved in here in 2019. It was the first time that I've ever had, we had, a, we got a sec with a, we got an apartment with two bedrooms, right? For the first time. And so I, it was the first time that I had I, yeah. a writing room, you know, cause space is, expensive in in um in new york Mm -hmm. but it it was always with the intention that it would turn into a baby room so it's half and half now okay cool (laughs) Um, are you the kind of writer do you always like to write in the same place or, or do you give yourself the ability to write in a starbucks as well I used to be more particular, you know, like I would want to have a ritual. I liked, you know, like lighting a candle. I liked having this space. But now that I have a baby, I've learned to be way more flexible because uh, especially so the baby was born in the middle of the pandemic. So we didn't have help. And so it was just like me writing whenever he napped. And so I've learned to be a lot more flexible and I can write like basically anywhere now. <laughs> I mean, at this point, you kind of have to. We talk about it all the time. It's like, you know, I live in SF. I- I'm writing, mm-hmm. you know, I'm writing in between taking her out to the bathroom. I'm writing when I'm doing laundry. Yes. Um, it might affect the writing. I don't know, but I'm still doing <laughs> the writing. Um, so yeah. how did you start? Well, tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're from and why you write about what you write about. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I f- I've always been really interested in writing and reading, and I think that it because so I was born in Queens and grew up in Long Island. So was I. Oh, nice. Uh, and then you, park. oh, nice. I was born in Flushing where there were a lot of Koreans um, and still are. <laughs> but a lot was, of Jews. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's so, I mean, I love Queens because it's so yeah. diverse. Mm-hmm. You know? Probably the most, I mean, you know, I moved, I moved 10 years ago, but I grew up in North Jersey. Probably the most diverse borough, I'd say. I or think so. Part of, you know, New York's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's like known as the most diverse borough, with like the most international community. Yeah. Um, but I grew up there, right? And my parents are Korean immigrants, and um, my grandmother actually moved from Korea for two years to take care of me, and she didn't know anyone here besides my mom and my dad. Um, so I grew up learning Korean first, and then so I was an ESL student in like kindergarten. And so I think I was always really fascinated with language because I was always kind of like, I remember like toggling between the two in my head and thinking that if I only knew a word in Korean, it only existed in Korean. Um, (laughs) Because it's a kid, I was a kid and I just felt like, okay, this doesn't exist for Americans because I don't know the language for it. Um, So I was always like really loved writing even as a kid and, and I wanted to be a writer at a young age, but I think everybody wants to be a writer and the president. Oh, not anymore. But, you know, there are like all these dreams. Well, hopefully that soon have. that'll change. Yes. Yeah, that's I, I understand where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
And so I like I was always really interested in writing. Um, but when I went to college, I was an English major and I thought that I needed to do something more practical. Uh, you know, especially because when did you I, go to college? Uh, I started in 2005. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we're, and then we're the exact same age. I'm 33. We're probably the same. Oh, nice. Same yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was interesting then, you know, it, that, yeah. but that was still kind of a time. Wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it was still kind of a time where you can like go to college to be a writer and no one was yeah. really kind of questioning it yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was an English major cause I thought that would might be a little safer. Um, and also I think I had a lot of hesitations because I didn't, you know, I think that there's a lot more, there are a lot more diverse writers now, but back then I really didn't see a lot of diversity and I didn't know a lot of Asian American writers or any, you know, I think I read my first Asian American writer in college so it just seemed like a, a harder task. And I didn't understand how, what was a path to becoming a writer. Mm -hmm. So I studied English, I took creative writing workshops, but I just kind of thought that that wasn't going to be a possibility for me. And so um, I was trying to figure out like, what else do I want to do? And I applied for Teach for America. And so that's what I actually did for a couple of years after graduating. But before graduating, like senior year, sitting on the steps, I had a conversation with a Korean American friend of mine. And I was telling her, you know, like my secret dream is to be a writer, but I just don't think it's possible. And she was the one who kind of encouraged me and said, like, after Teach for America, if you still have that urge, I think you should give yourself like the permission to try it. You know, why not? We're young. And that really stuck with me. And so after Teach for America, after teaching for a couple of years and getting a graduate degree in teaching, I still wanted to write. So uh, then well, I went to graduate school for creative for writing. You're going mm -hmm. to another country, right? To No, it's actually... No, no, okay. um, explain, it's here. explain that, explain that. Yes. So Teach for America is um, an organi organization. Uh, it's still running. I think it's like probably changed a lot. But when I was in it, you, they place you in... Uh, in in a community. So you don't get to choose. It could be anywhere in the United States okay. in a low socioeconomic community where you are, you commit to teaching for two years at least. Got it. So I ended up teaching in, in Brooklyn. So I stayed uh, in New York. Oh, well, you lucked out then? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted to stay in New York. I mean, I mean, could you have ended up theoretically in Little Rock, Arkansas? I mean, yeah. Uh -huh. My friend, um, Ended up in Tulsa. We love Little Rock. No, nothing against Yes. Rock. And she, I mean, her rent was so cheap and she liked it there, but I wanted to stay in New York. You so. ever been to Tulsa, Oklahoma? I never visited her. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I toured in bands forever and I mean, I've spent a lot of time in places that people forget are in America. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's for anyone. If you never traveled through America. Yeah. A lot of people talk about it, but they've never been there. Um, yeah. 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 That's cool. It's, it's, it's an interesting place for sure. Yeah. Um, I need to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Cool. So um, you, you do this program, you're staying mm -hmm. in New York this whole time. Yeah. Um, what are you writing them? What are you doing? You're teaching. I mean, are you dating? What's going on in your life? How are you able to manage these things? What's going yeah. on? Yeah. So I, I thought like, okay, I'll become a teacher and then I can write on this side. But the thing is, teaching is so exhausting. I was teaching um, first grade and then second grade. Oh, wow. Okay. And it's really, you need a lot of energy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was uh, at a pretty... Uh, the public school system? 
Yes. Mm -hmm. So at that time in 2009, uh, there was a teaching hiring freeze in the public school. So uh, I was placed at a charter school, which is a public school. It's not private, but it's a little different. And we, it was just like a very intense atmosphere where there's, it's very, uh, there are just a lot of assessments that we're constantly doing for the students. It's very focused on literacy and growth, right? Uh, and I really loved my students, but it was just a lot of work all the time. And I was also doing grad school for uh, for teaching at the same time, which was on the weekends and evenings. So wow. I quick, yeah, I quickly just realized that I wasn't able to write the way that I wanted to. And I took some creative writing classes at the YMCA during the summers. Oh, cool. Um, but I, besides I didn't even that, know they offered those classes. That's cool. Yeah. Um, but besides that, I didn't get as much writing in as I wanted, which is why after my TFA commitment, I decided, you know what, I'm going to just give myself the time by, by applying to grad school. And if I get in, I'll, I'll try it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm assuming you said you got in? Yeah. So I ended okay. up going to um, Columbia grad school and I started writing short stories there because workshop is, it's just easier to workshop short stories and it felt less intimidating to me. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, instead of committing to a whole novel, which takes so much time and effort, it just felt more daunting. Right? Sure, yeah. Well, had you ever attempted a short story before? I mean, I tried writing short stories in the beginning and I found it to be very, very, di- I mean, I'm a fairly new writer. Yeah, I've only been writing, you know, for mm-hmm. the last three-ish years. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, let me start with short stories. And it kicked my fucking ass. I mean, like, yes. it kicks your ass, short stories. Yeah. So actually, I think I was incorrect in my assumption going in. I just thought like the yeah. short story form would be easier, but it's <laughs> so much harder. I actually find short stories incredibly hard and I don't write them much anymore. Um, I think they're w- so hard. Mm-hmm. They're just hard in different ways. But when I went in, I thought uh, incorrectly that it would be an easier form. Uh, and I had been writing short stories beforehand. So that's what I started writing. But pretty like quickly, I kind of realized that I was interested in a family. And I was interested in, in all these like Korean and Korean American characters. So I would say like one or two semesters in, I decided, okay, I'm writing a novel in stories, like an interconnected short story collection. Um and so, and it's, it was very different from my, my novel, If You Leave Me, that I actually eventually published. But there were some core characters that were the same. But it was um, three generations, it was many more years, and it t- started in Korea during the Korean War, but then ended in America in like 2010s. So it was very different, whereas my novel right now, is, uh, If You Leave Me, is just taking place in Korea in 16 years, starting during the war and into the aftermath. Um, but I started writing some of the, the characters in grad school. Um, a couple of questions. Um, well, first off, uh, growing up, did you, were your, did your family travel back to Korea when you were growing up? Yeah, yeah. So my mom is the only one of her family that's here in America. Okay, so okay. She has four sisters and I'm very close to my grandmother. So we we would go back basically every summer or every other summer when I was little cuz she, you know, missed her family and Oh yeah. And it was really important for my parents that my sister and I speak Korean. 
and know the culture. And, and so we went back often and then it was harder when I was in high school, middle school, but we, we still went back pretty often. So I had a lot of familiarity. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it's like my mother would, would, when I was a kid, would bring us into Williamsburg and be like, these are Jewish people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> not anymore, but they used to be. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, the, the next question is why? Well, obviously with Korea for mm-hmm. anyone who's ever turn on the television ever um korea is broken up into north korea and south korea yes. um and there was a war which obviously you said yes. you started writing about i yes. am a history fanatic i try to read as many books as i can about all the wars the driest right. things you could possibly read. Uh-huh. but the korean war is the one war i can't say i know enough about and we said right. for the podcast um i was supposed to i I was going to be going to eat i've been to asia a couple of times but i was mm-hmm. going to go into korea for my first time mm-hmm. um Obviously, that didn't happen. The world shut down. Um, yeah. I was going to do a whole. I was going to start in Tokyo, take the train to um, Hiroshima. I want. I needed to see the monument that were the bomb. Mm-hmm. I had to, and then I was going to fly. I had the whole thing fly there to Korea. Um, uh, uh, too so bad. Was there? Did you have any family connection to the war itself? Why the war? Yeah. So I think that you know you kind of touched upon it earlier when you said that you are a history fanatic, but you don't know that much about the Korean War. Yes. And what I basically realized is that it's it's called the Forgotten War yes. in America because it's it's really something that we don't talk about. It's not part of our like American cultural historical consciousness. And, and not to cut you off, but it, mm-hmm. for, again, for people who don't realize or remember, the Korean War happened. Six years after World War Two, I yes, mean, you know, a little, not even a decade later, we were in yeah. another war. Yes, but and I remember, you know, growing up. I, I mean, I grew up here, right? And in history textbooks, we learned so much about World War Two and the Vietnam War, but the Korean War happened in between, and it's like a paragraph, yeah. right, in the yeah. textbook. So it was something that I thought was really fascinating because all of Korea was involved in the, in the war in some way. Right. Uh, and um, the American troops were involved. Um, and like I said earlier, I'm very close to my grandmother and she was a young teen during the war mm-hmm. and she would tell me stories. She, she's a storyteller. She loves talking and she would tell me stories of how she and her mother had to flee and civilians were fleeing on foot. Right. And, it she she drew such a very visual picture for me of the hardships there and there was such a striking contrast between what i was learning about the queen war from my family in my private home versus what i was learning about it in public in school because there was just nothing mm-hmm. nothing that i was really learning so i thought that this would be something that i could perhaps write about because I wanted to share these experiences with a wider audience. And I was just personally very interested in it because of my family's background in it. Um, And then at the same time, I really am interested in war narratives. But what I realized was that they're often focused on men, right? Uh The soldiers or like the generals or whatnot. And I really thought, well, what happens to the women who are at home? Like, what do their traumas look like? Because they're in, you know, they are irrevoc- irrevocably. I don't know how to say that word. Saved but- yourself. It was good. It was good. It was good. 
I would have put Trudeau, don't worry. They're irrevocably changed by the war as well, but we don't really get to see their experiences. So I wanted to have a woman and her experiences and her trauma center the novel too. Yeah. Um, immediately comes to mind um, when, you, and I agree with you when you're saying, especially with the war narrative, it's mm-hmm. rare that you have a female, um, but immediately came to mind. I don't know if you've read it. Um, uh, All the light we cannot see. Mm-hmm. And, I mean that he, he, he did a very good job of splitting it in half. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and you really got, um, and it's interesting. To I see love that, that book. Oh, I mean, come on. I mean, that was, uh, yes. love him. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it, but, um, love, yeah. uh, it's interesting you say that. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a white straight male, right? So, you know, I am public enemy number one. So <laughs> at this point, you know, I am hyper aware of, you know, the authors out there, the media, you know, what's going on and I'm trying to pay attention to it. So specifically, I don't know if you had a chance to watch it's my newest obsession. I just finished The Crown. Have you seen The Crown? I have not. Okay. I know um, a lot of people are into it, but yeah. I haven't seen it. I watched one episode and then it was very slow. And I know that Americans, I mean, I'm an American, but you know, I know that Americans like have this obsession with British royalty, but I never got on that train. So I haven't seen it, but I've heard it's really good. Yeah. Well, maybe my obsession with British royalty has just begun because mm-hmm. I just, but, but that said, it's a show that again, as, as a straight dude, right. Mm-hmm. It's female driven. The whole plot, mm. the characters are female. The, all the male characters are always secondary, but they nice. were able <laughs> for me and again, that's it's dope because mm-hmm. it was so good that I was they. I mean, I listened to Joe Rogan. I lived to wait. I am the last, <laughs> and they dragged me in because the dialogue, yeah, everything. So mm-hmm. the idea of you know, you know, female-driven characters mm-hmm. can still bring in male audiences. Yeah, uh, of course. It's, it's not you know, it shouldn't be just because you're writing a female character. It should only be tailored to a female audience i think yeah and i only brought up the crown because they did a superb job of doing that in their art i didn't realize yeah i didn't realize it was female driven that's very interesting oh definitely yeah and it's very slow if you ever watch (laughs) i I compare i compare it to mad men if you ever saw mad yeah i didn't Um, it's kind of like that slow steady drip of just like yeah it's not The Sopranos, which in, on this show we all know is the greatest show ever made. I also haven't seen that. I have like all these gaps in my <gasps> TV knowledge. I know. I know. I know. Sopranos, <laughs> well, all right. Well, uh, I'm going to spare everyone. Um, yeah. It was, <laughs> it was filmed where it was filmed in my backyard. Uh, it's oh, the, yeah. Nice. Northern Jersey. It was the greatest mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. But we're not <laughs> talking about Sopranos. Um, so, uh, so you had this idea for the book. Um, yeah. Did your research? Did you do a lot of research for it? Did you uh, go? Yeah. yeah. Where, where did your research take you? Yes, I had to do so much research, and you know what? I feel like with the first book, when you are quote unquote like new writer, even though I feel like a new Talk writer a still, um, yeah, like, but I feel like I still feel like new writer, yeah. you know. Uh, but I think with the first book, there's kind of this naivety which is really special, you know. And so I just thought, like, I'm gonna. I'm going to write this book. I'm going to write about the Korean War from a female perspective. It's like a big endeavor, but I was young and I just felt excited. Any fictional books from that, the Korean? I can't even think of any. There are some, you know, there's um, Chang Rae Lee's The Surrendered, but there's not a ton about the Korean War, which is also one of the reasons why I wanted to write about it. Um, But I didn't even realize how much research would be involved. I didn't realize how long it would take, you know? Uh, but 
I did a lot of oral history research in the sense that I talked to my grandmother and then also uh, my aunts and and. So my dad is is one of nine siblings, and he's on the younger end. So some of my paternal aunts are the same age as my grandma. It's a little okay, like yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. So, so I talked to my grandmother, but also my aunts, my elderly aunts, uh, and just heard about their experiences. And I was really interested in in that female specific experience of like, what did you do to make money? Like, what was it like to be so hungry? You know, like paint me a picture. And then I read a lot about the Korean War. I read memoirs of soldiers' experiences as well, Korean soldiers' experiences, because the novel actually, though it centers around Hemi, this Korean girl, there are five narrators, and and three of them are men. There are two men that are kind of like vying for her attention, and then there's her younger brother. Uh, so I wanted to get a sense of like, what was a soldier's experience? Mm-hmm. And then I ended up, I realized that there's not a lot of material about the Korean, like a Korean woman's experience, right? Which is kind of why I started writing this book in the first place. Uh, but it was frustrating because I couldn't get that material. So it actually ended up broadening my research in the sense that I started reading articles about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder or the way that Koreans talk about depression or the language around depression. Uh, and I started reading other novels that I could find that were not based in Korea, but were were focused on the domestic or the female experience in, in a war narrative, right? Uh, and I watched films. So it was it was very kind of wide and diverse type of research. Um, how is, I mean, you know, how is depression viewed in the Korean community? I mean, in the Jewish community, it's just called anxiety. Um, what, <laughs> do you, what do you, you know, especially with age, you know, can you talk about that? When Was that easy yeah. to get into? Yeah, it was, I mean, even now, I think things are, things are changing. I was talking to a cousin of mine and, and the, the way that people are talking about it is changing. I think therapy is being seen as more of an, a socially accepted kind of thing to do. But, but in the 1950s, it was not something that people talked about, like probably not even here. I'm not sure about here, but in Korea, definitely not. Right. Electroshock therapy. (laughs) Yeah. You just, in Korea, you, you know, you saw this devastation, you saw death, you experienced it and you just move on. Uh, So I was really interested in, in my character, Hemi showing and, and the other characters like showing what does, what does that look like when you can't process the grief or the trauma that you've seen? How does that come out? And it can come out in like abusive behavior. It can come out in Hemi experiences, some um, postpartum depression, but they're, they're, they're not talking about it. Right. And she, at one point tries to explain how she's feeling and everyone around her kind of shuts her down. So I wanted to show the ways in which it's, it's really dangerous at that time when when there's no language, there's no term depression, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so when you don't have the language to name something, then how do you how do you be, how are you able to share that experience or get help? Funny, I'm I'm just laughing. It's the opposite of what you said earlier in the podcast. Where you were a kid, and you were learning Korean, and you thought, yeah. <laughs> right? And that's the yes. opposite. The English words they don't have any Korean. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's it's unbelievable. Um, 
I'm only going to mention it because I just read the book and you said your father's one of nine. Yeah. Uh, that book, Hidden Valley Road. Uh, I oh, don't know. I've heard of it. Oh. I have not read it, but I've heard of it. It, it is, sounds very interesting. You no, know, it is effed. I mean, it is fucked up. Um, yeah. Very. It sounds very so dark. dark. Yeah. Very, but, but in the sense of you see these big, I mean, I didn't, I didn't grow up in a yeah. big family. Um, I, mm-hmm. I don't know, but to have 12 children and I mean, Ugh. but you, and, and it explains schizophrenia. It explains mm-hmm. depression, the genetic codes. I mean, it is mind blowing that book. Um, yeah, I would check it out only because you have your father's one of, I mean, it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah. so when did you, when you started, you know, clicking away and getting, you know, the drafts going, um, what, what again? Were you working full time? You were teaching at that time. Um, mm-hmm. How long did it kind of take you to get the novel into a form where you're like, okay, now I can? Yeah, yeah. So I actually, so I started writing about like Korean mothers and daughters in undergrad, ah. uh, and then that kind of sparked my interest in exploring that part of the narrative. And then when I was um, teaching, I didn't get to write as much, but once I went to grad school, I stopped teaching. Yeah. So I was just a full-time student for two years. Well, I was doing some part-time teaching work, but mostly a student. And I was working on this interconnected short story collection. And I thought that I would just have a short story collection first. And it was actually in my last workshop in, what was that, 2014, that my teacher, Ben Metcalf, said, this is a novel you need to get rid of like two thirds of your book and focus on these characters. And it was, I had such an, I had like two strong reactions to it. One of it was like devastation. Cause I was just like, what the fuck? I've been working on this novel. My, I mean, I've been working on my short story collection for three years. Yeah. And now in my last workshop, I'm about to leave. And you tell me that it's a novel, but at the same time, it like him saying that, clicked for me and I realized that he's right like I have a story here that I could really delve into yeah so after I got over my like devastation I pretty quickly decided to try out the novel form so that required me to kind of completely break open the short story collection get rid of two-thirds of it look at the parts that were focused on my character's who uh, Hemi, Jisoo, Kyungwon, and then kind of spread that out. So I, I say that I started the novel in 2011, which is when I started the grad program, because that's when I first met these characters. But then the novel started taking shape in 2014. And then I sold it in um, 2016, and then it came out in 2018. And how was that process for you? I mean, did you were you working with? Did you know any agents beforehand? How did you kind of get it into the hands of an agent? Yeah. So in grad school, grad school, or at least my grad school, is very focused on the process, and they kept they often said like, "Don't worry about the business aspect of it until later," which I know is frustrating for a lot of people, but uh, I just listened to that, yeah. you know, because I was really focused on my novel, and I'm a slow writer, so I. I think so. Uh-huh. Well, I, I are so. you comparing it to other people? No, it's just I feel like I'm slow. Okay, fair <laughs> um, I feel like I'm yeah, slow yeah. because I can't, I'm not somebody who works on multiple projects. So I feel like I'm in this one project forever kind of feeling. Um, 
So I didn't have an agent or, and I didn't really know agents beforehand, but I was going to conferences and, and meeting people, right. And, you know, like saving their cards. And then uh, once I was done, well, after graduate school, I was working and writing at the same time. And once I was finally done, then I started querying agents. So I didn't have an agent beforehand. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and so once the, I mean, was, was that kind of a, shocking process to you or was it all pretty s- smooth seamless once it kind of got out there and it was out of your hands yeah i mean i mean writers are i think i always describe writers as as extremely sensitive but also have this kind of like egotism to them right because you're so like i I'm so sensitive i'll just talk about myself i'm so sensitive but also in order to decide I'm going to work on a project for years, right? In the hopes that it is becomes a book that requires like an egotism, right? Mm-hmm. And, a, and a belief in yourself. Yeah, you so, yeah. So the agent querying process took a couple of months and I definitely got rejections. So it was very like emotional process. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely emotional because I mean, no one likes getting rejected, right? Tell me about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, cool. And, and then, so then, it, then it's out there. It's um, once mm-hmm. it kind of, you know, once it's in the mechanics of the publishing world, um, what are your thoughts then? Are you immediately working on the next thing? I mean, how do you go about your next whatever? Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I sold it in 2016 and we were done. We had galleys by 2017, but we didn't, but it didn't come out until like a year later. Um, Are you frustrated with that process or that length of time for how long books take to get out into the world? Yeah. uh, I don't know. Like I, I felt like my process, my experience was long, but I think it was because they're trying to be strategic about it, right? Because uh-huh. originally, so it was, I was done and I had galleys in late 2017 and it was originally going to be a summer 2018 book, like June, but then they decided, okay, this is a little too dark to be a beachy, like people are not going to want to read this on the beach because it's depressing. Yeah, yeah. So let's move it to August. <laughs> well, I want to stop you there because you said in graduate school, they told you the exact opposite they said worry about the writing don't worry about the business yeah but how does that prepare you for when you have to do the business right right so I I think I naively just went along with that and was really focused on the craft and there are benefits to that because I I think that I didn't get caught up in the like business and competition aspect of it which could have I mean that could have fucked up your writing yes yeah so I think that I was kind of sheltered from that because I just wasn't paying attention to that world which was good uh but then afterwards then you have to like scramble to figure out like how do I get an agent how does this work what does publishing look like but I was really lucky that I have an amazing amazing agent that I really trust amazing editor and and publicist and we're all friends now so i felt really good about the process yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so and again uh i, th- I don't know I think we, I was talking about before the podcast, but I, you came out to my radar because when your book came out, you kind of popped with the whole, it, it was like a crew. Mm. Right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I was following. I mean, you know, I'm, we're based the podcast it's an SF podcast. And I, mm-hmm. I know you're doing some things with green apple books. Mm-hmm. Well, it seemed like, are you, can you explain to people your little click? I mean, maybe I'm making something up, but it's, like yeah, a, yeah. 
friends and you guys were all releasing books at the same time. Some other yes. authors too. Yes. Yeah. So there was a little group of us. Um, and I did an event with R.O. Kwan, who wrote The Incendiaries, Ingrid Roja Contreras, who wrote The Fruit of the Drunken Tree, Vanessa Hua. Yeah, I'm, who, I'm not making this up. Yeah. Yes. Right. So all of them are SF writers, right? Exactly. Um, so I, them I, have been on the podcast. I'm trying to get R.O. Hopefully she'll come on. Yeah. 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 So they're all SF writers. Um, so I, I, I feel like SF has such a like awesome, closely knit, a uh, group of writers, you know, so it has a strong community. Yeah. As someone who grew up in Jersey, New York city and having mm-hmm. lived in SF now for a decade, mm-hmm. this city to me is still, I live in Haight-Ashbury. I'm looking at Golden Gate Park. I mean, this city to me is still, the, it's one of the most magical cities in the, yeah. in the world to me. It, oh, I've traveled everywhere. I've been everywhere. And to this day, yeah, SF has a, if we can just, we're, we're desperately always just trying to keep it that way. It's tough. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. I re- I mean, I wasn't that familiar with it beforehand, but yeah. it, you guys have a great community Love there. Here. The, yeah. Everyone here it's awesome. So, everyone's so stoked on people just doing well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's like no sense of competition or it just felt like a close knit group because it's like a smaller mm-hmm. in terms of location or, you know, physical Well, space. well, let me ask you this question then. Is there a thing mm-hmm. in New York or is there, is there a vibe in New York of a competitive vibe? You can be um, honest. You don't have to name names. I feel like there is just because the publishing houses are here. The agents are oh, here where it feels very like businessy, uh-huh. right? It can feel kind of like that. Uh, and there are so many writers. You know when there's like a surplus of writers, it can kind of feel like it's harder to create a community because there's so many. So I think that New York kind of suffers from that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Though I feel like I feel like I've gotten a lot of I've met so many incredible writers after my book was published because we kind of found each other along the way. Like, oh, your book is publishing too. Let's support each other because this is like a scary new process. Yeah. Yeah, And it's nicer to support. Exactly. And if if you're pushing other authors that are maybe, you know, again, either other female Korean American authors, Mm -hmm. if those readers are going to like her book, they might like your book too. So why, why wouldn't you try to push everyone up? Yes. And I feel like people can think that the literary world is very competitive and cutthroat. And I just want to push against that. And I I would rather have friends and support their books than feel like jealous. Exactly. You know? And so the more you support your friends and the more you are excited for them, like the better it feels to be part of this world. Yeah. I mean, I, I try very hard in my own personal life. Jealousy is something I've always tried to, I've, I've, you know, I grew up in touring bands and whenever I saw bands Uh, that were getting bigger shows or playing, you know, the Fillmore, whoever, mm -hmm. whatever, the jealousy within me was just, it wasn't an, you know, it didn't seethe, but it's, it can, it can get to you and then it can affect your own art directly. And then when that happens, it's over, it's game over. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's easy to think that there's only a, you know, a number of slices in the pie or whatever that phrase is. Right. And it's not like that. So yeah, I feel like the more I support, the less I'll feel jealous. Yes. I mean, you know, David Hasselhoff is, is huge in Germany, right? I mean, like the whole world, like, I mean, just, you know, it's, it's not just because you write one book, only people in, you know, yeah, read it. There, there's, it's a whole big world. Um, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So that's, that, that's great. So this book comes out, you do, you know, you're doing, you went on a little tour. Did you do any tour? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did events. Like first time doing any readings. 
Um, I, let's see, I'm trying to think. I think I had done like one or two beforehand at yeah, residence yeah, yeah. user conferences, yeah. but I didn't enjoy them. Yeah. And then once this book came out, I had to like really like gird up and, and get, you know, yeah. get myself ready to present. But also at that point I had been teaching. I was used to being like in, you know, in a performative yeah. kind of role. So I really like readings yeah. now yeah. and I, I find a lot of joy in them. Yeah. That's dope. Well, Crystal, I mean, this has been an absolute blast. Um, this I is always, so fun. Yeah, no, most definitely. I always ask kind of a couple of quick questions at the end. Yeah. Um, obviously we were saying before you are on social media, uh, mm -hmm. please do let the people know uh, what you do, where you are and how to find you. Yes. So I'm on um, Instagram and Twitter at Crystal Hana K. Great. Um, second question. Uh, are we expecting another book from you? Are you working on anything right now? Yes. I'm working on uh, my second novel. Yeah. I started in 2017, but I'm still going. So there's no date yet, yeah, but yeah. I am, I'm working on something. Yeah. We love it. And since you're a, a New York gal, what mm -hmm. uh, bookstore are you repping? What where should people buy your book? Oh yeah. I love, I love books are magic. It's like, uh, I don't live in that neighborhood now, but I love them. They were my neighborhood bookstore a year or two ago. Love them. Love powerhouse arena. That's a new one power. I, I don't know that one. Oh yeah. They're in Dumbo. They, they've been around oh, okay. for a while. Yeah. But they're great too. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much again, Crystal. Um, yeah. Everyone, please get the book. Tell the people what's the name of the book. Buy it. Buy it. Yes. The novel is called If You Leave Me. We love it. By Crystal, Crystal Hanukkah. We mm -hmm. love it. Crystal, thank you so much. Thank you so much. This yeah, is a lot the of fun. Rest of your day. All right. I'm going to watch The Sopranos. <laughs> and you're going to email and we're going to talk. <laughs> you're gonna, I'm going to message you. We're going to go season by season. And I'm going to yes. explain the whole breakdown right now. <laughs> You won't regret it, Crystal. I know. I've heard it's good. All right. We love it. See you later. Bye. Bye.